You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, guys, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with a special guest, D. Franz McFadden. And Franz is the owner of Golf and Performance in, in Canada there. And so if you guys are north of the border... Uh, most of the listeners we have are in the United States. We've got a few across the pond and a few from from our, our northern friends in Canada. Uh, but, France, thank you so much for being on here, and welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you having me. As I said to you before, you have had a long list of distinguished names, so I'm quite humbled to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Uh, I always start off with asking people, how'd you get into golf? Well, that's an easy one. It's chalk it up to who we call Coach Grandpa, who's my dad, and the partner of the law firm I started with, who was a golf nut. And every Monday morning, he'd come in after his round of golf and say, he'd tell me every single stroke he played, over 18 holes, and back then the course was 7,800 yards, and he was basically scoring 10 strokes a hole. So his thing was, every attorney must play golf for networking stuff, and at the time... I was still playing squash internationally. I said, I have no time. He says, well, look at your dad. Go take lessons from him. I said, that's not going to work. Anyway, eventually I went to my dad, asked him. He said, no. He sent me to his original coach, uh, who was a very famous guy back in the day, Jasper. And that's what started me on that golf journey. Uh, Get my first ping set, got off to the races. Still was doing too many things uh, to take it seriously. Still competing in other things. But that was the start. Very cool. All right. So one thing that anybody that, you know, has seen your social media or whatnot, they get to see, see your, your son Ned, and all the things that he's accomplished. And with your background in, you know, playing lots of different sports and also in coaching and fitness and, and these things, I get to kind of see, you know, how you're, you're working him to become the player that he is right now, which is uh, one of the top players there in Canada. Um, and so I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of the hats that you have to wear as this, because me being a parent, some point down the line, I probably see my see myself doing something similar. And so from personal experience, I'd like to I'd like to kind of pick your brain on that. But also, you know, maybe for some of the other guys out there, other golfers out there that have some junior golfers and see maybe, OK, what are things that they can grasp from from being this parent and you know, a coach or, or, or whatever it may be their role might fall into? So with that being said, where do you, where do you, how do you manage your roles between father and coach? Well, I can tell you first off the bat, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. The lines have been blurred and we had to learn. We're still learning. And I had to define the lines. I realized very early. So when Darren started at 10 and a half, uh, just seeing grandpa and I in the backyard doing stuff, 
I actually started teaching him. And after a little while, a few months, I took him to another pro and got him five lessons. At the end of those five lessons, I said to him, you know, well, what did you learn? He says, nothing. I said, how could you not learn anything? He's a, he's a good coach because I knew the guy. He said, nothing that you haven't taught me. So that was the first step for him to understand. This is not dad teaching you recreationally, so to speak. This is actually a professional who is teaching you from professional background. So when it's further on now, when he said, well, he wants to be a top junior, he wants to play on tour, all that stuff. The lines now, as he got older and hit that magical age of 14, where for boys, the hormones start to kick in, I had to recognize, okay, he's trying to voice his own opinion. So we dubbed him the man cub, hashtag man cub. Uh, still, sometimes he is a growing lad. He is the sweetest kid, but he's also very strong minded. So there are times when we're doing something. I said, okay, Darren, this is your, your, your training program for today. I'm going to go teach for, I'm going to come back and check on you. And I come back and I see it's not going the way it should be. So I'll ask the same question. Well, how did it go? Oh, it's fine. So I developed the one ball challenge. So when he's doing something, let's say it's a seven iron running up a 70 yard shot, drop it at 25, run it the remainder to the hole. And he's not really getting it. I said, okay. First it was three balls to one ball. He'd have three balls to prove that he had actually done the work. And I'd only have one ball to prove to him that, that he hadn't. Thankfully, 99.9% of the times I would win. Then as he got better, we came down to the one ball challenge, which he absolutely hates. So it could be a flop shot. It could be a pitch shot. It could be a bump and run. It could be a putting. It could be whatever the challenge is. I have one ball. And as he got better, got closer, closer, closer. So then I said, okay, that means I've got to put in some work so I could now stretch him. I also had the benefit, I think, of he saw the results I get with other students because we got the, you know, four and a half year olds that, you know, start, got the 90 odd year olds, got adult competitors, juniors that compete. So he's able to see that they come being able to do certain things. And then when they spend some time with coach Franz, then they're able to, he can see the marked improvement. Then when he started applying himself, cause he was like another student to me, you've got to do the work kind of to earn my time when I'm, I'm wearing my coach's hat. Uh, so when we started doing all that stuff and he started doing his work, he now started getting results. So that's why it, the lines still become blurred because every now and again, I got to say, this is your coach speaking. And then he'll say, well, can coach leave? I want to talk to dad <laughs> or, or vice versa. So it's a learning process. Now it leads me into your second question, which is my recommendation for other parents. It's not an easy road. You've got, you know, few parents, professionals, and even non-professionals like uh, Serena and Venus Williams' dad. You've got, of course, you know, Tiger's dad, Justin Thomas's dad, Jim, Jim Furyk's dad. And you can go through a lot of different sports. Yeah. It's not easy. So my thing was find something outside of the sport you're coaching your kid in that you both share a passion for. So Darren and I share a huge passion for golf. But if you look at my Instagram post, my last thing on my bucket list, I want to have a cooking show on TV. So I've been cooking since I'm six years old and he loves food. So after every event, 
we find somewhere, a local, you know, burger joint, pizza place, chicken place, whatever it might be, and we share a meal and then we have our debrief. He's now also gotten a little hashtag culinary cup because he's now cooking. And he has also a gift. He's an artist. So he also has a gift for plating food properly, which is something I didn't have to teach him. He sees how I plate and then he sees and he's, he does his own unique plating style. So we share the, that, that love of food. And we also have a love of movies. And so we watch a lot of stuff together. Movies, late night, his kick right now is the Mandalorian. Yeah. So Disney plus that kind of stuff in lockdown. So find something that you share because you will have friction. I, Darren is such a different personality to me. That's probably why it does work. If he was my type of personality and driven the way I'm driven, I don't know if it would work, but I was also able to recognize early. You, you might have to recognize that you're not the coach for your kid. Just like we're not the coach for everybody out there. There's not everybody that comes to my lesson tee. I'm going to be the coach for, I've had to say to parents, your kid is not, does not want to play golf. And they say, no, but we're paying you. I said, you're not paying me anymore because they don't want to play golf. You need to find them another sport. Similarly with the coaching thing, I've seen a lot of parents try to coach their kid and it's just, you just see fighting and argument. I've seen name calling. I've seen shouting on the golf course. And so that's not a good thing because after all, golf is just a game. As much as we love it, as much as we're trying to achieve, if it's to the detriment and the ruination of your family, your, your, your relationship with your child, not a good thing. So find something extra that you love, that you can share a passion for, that you can blow off that steam. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important. I mean, that's, I would say that's, that's just smart in any kind of relationship, right? Where, you know, you have a mutual interest in, in, in a select different things. And despite that allows you just to have more quality interactions, I guess we'll say. Absolutely. And so um, that's really cool. So it's a good, good advice for, for everybody. You know, it's not always about the one thing that you have the interest in. Uh, you have yeah. multiple uh, uh, venues to, to interact. Uh, so with this, so obviously you're a golf coach, so we're going to talk uh, golf and, and how, how you're, what you're working on with him and, and whatnot. Uh, but also, I would imagine a lot of the stuff that you're, you're, we're going to talk about with, with about man cub here is, is similar to things that can be applied to other juniors. So what are some of the main things you guys are focusing on in this time frame, um, where he's, you know, later teens, right. Kind of getting ready to go off to college or, or take that next step uh, from just playing the, the junior golf. Okay. Well, he is, he's in his final year. He just actually last week uh, did his university applications uh, I'd scouted out the coaches that I wanted him to play under, so to speak. And so he's going, he is getting to that stage. He's already saying, because his, his sisters at Waterloo, they took a gap year. He'd like a gap year to go down by grandpa, coach grandpa and hang out on the golf course and just play golf. Not so sure his mom is going to really agree with that. Yeah. Um, so with him, with every, every junior, uh, they have to be assessed and I'm constantly assessing them. Maybe not a formal full TPI assessment. Maybe every now and again, I see something going wrong. I say, okay, let's look at your hip mobility. I might send them to one of our partners, uh, supporting partners to get checked out, see what their hip rotation is looking like, that kind of thing. 
but every one of our athletes is different. So we have two things that I always look at. I have to have a basic blueprint for how most of the competitors are going to be taught, but we focus a lot also on the mental aspect, uh, the, high, the peak performance mind coaching element, this, what I call the psychological fingerprints that makes it all stick together. So for him right now, we're in what we call phase two of our winter program, just happens to be in lockdown. So in phase one, it's a strength uh, part, and it's based on their biological age, and you understand what that means, not their physical age. So he was after me to get into the Olympic lifting stuff that I teach uh, from, I don't know, maybe from he was 12, 13. I said, absolutely not. So when I thought he was ready, we got into that. And every phase, however, also has a mobility component. And mobility is very important because it is an athletic endeavor that we're after. But I also believe in long-term preservation of the body. This is our tool. So my dad was cutting edge back in the day when we started with the different sports and we had to be stretching. And I'm like, no, other kid is stretching. And he's like, well, I'm your dad, stretch. So we started doing all that stuff. So I've, I, I, was, I was able to you know, be injury-free for pretty much all of my career in sports. So similarly with all my athletes, I have to have the mobility component. Now we're in the lockdown phase. So between, I would say, October to the end of January is when we're doing the, the, the strength phase with mobility. When we get to about now, you know, middle January, starting to the velocity uh, stuff, get everything moving, explosive movements in a rotational plane or transverse plane. And of course, we're getting into a lot of technical stuff that starts January because this is the time we get to clean up stuff. So even though I hate winter, I hate cold, I People ask me, why did you choose to come to Canada? That's another long story. Uh, it is the time that you can work on stuff, the block practice stuff, the cleaning up stuff. So for him right now, his swing path was off. He was producing a fade that was not optimal for how he plays. So that's what we're working on right now, changing the, 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 the swing path, the hand tracing path, all those things. That's for him. So everybody would have different things that we'd work on in, as, a, as an adjunct to the uh, fitness aspect of it. So uh, he's working a lot on that. Short game is my you know, specialty, so to speak. So we always have that component uh, working on. We're, we're trying never to lose that. Uh, then the third phase, we we're getting now into full out speed, getting back into the playing thing a month before season opens. So every athlete, they have a program from me and it says, okay, well, these are the things you're going to work on now. And I can tell if they've done the work or not, because I kind of know the, the individual and I know how long it takes for them to adapt and change and then we move on because you have to build a basic foundation. Otherwise, everything you put on top of it is going to collapse. And for me, the collapsing means injury. And there are a lot of junior golfers, a lot of competitive golfers. You put so much work in to condition yourself, to condition your mind, to put the hours in, and then you have an injury that is, could have been avoided because you weren't doing it right. Yeah. So there's a lot of monitoring. And as I said, there's an assessment, reassessments, those things we keep checking on to make sure that we are actually developing along the right way, them along the right way or right path. So everything I'm doing with him technically that you might see on Instagram uh, or Facebook, yes, that's generally applicable to everybody. But the things I'm doing with him, unless it's highlighted, okay, guys, I want you to do this, and I'm using it as a demonstration. It's really for him. 
because he's hypermobile. There are things his body can do that if the average person tries to do, not a good idea. It's going to mess up your swing. It's going to mess up your body. So yeah, we go through specific stuff with each uh, athlete that we coach. Yeah. And I think, you know, the assessment's huge because, you know, when I have somebody walk in my clinic and they tell me I have shoulder pain, well, I can, I can probably list off 12, 15 th- reasons why somebody might have some shoulder pain. Yeah. Now, there's, there's some common ones and we could just guess at, Oh, that's probably the problem. So let's just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work the rotator cuff because that's oftentimes a problem, right? And say, like, okay, but if I don't take that assessment, then I can't uh, kind of pinpoint the areas of, of, of work. And I always tell people, hey, we focus on the limitations. And in my experience, we see that decreases pain and increases function. So if yeah. we find, find those limitations and we target them, then we're going to have a much faster progress. And, and, and then we reassess. And like you said, you're constantly reassessing. And then that way you can kind of tweak things. And so I think huge for everybody to, to, to grasp is the importance of having, having a regular assessment. And you know, if you work with a, with a trainer, uh, they shouldn't just be, Oh, we're just going to throw, you know, we're going to do these exercises, these exercises, and and never look at you, uh, how you move or anything on those lines. And okay. Yeah. You're doing this really well. All right. So now we can progress to this or, or now we're moving, you know, you're having this restriction. Now we can fix that or, or whatever. So. Yeah, you must love when somebody walks in and goes, give me a stretch. For what? I'm, I need to be more flexible. Okay, where's the limitation? Yeah, so you understand exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah it, it can't be any different than, than with the well, golf swing, right? So yeah. uh, you said, there you go, okay, this is, help me, help me. I, I slice the driver. So it's like, okay, but what reasons why do you slice the driver? <laughs> I'm sure, sure that comes up a handful of times for you. <laughs> yeah and everybody has everybody comes with their you know I remember a few years ago uh this gentleman had to be about 89 and he'd been playing golf for you know 40 50 years and I kid you not he came to the first lesson with a sheet that had 36 flaws that he needed fixing so I started by the time I got to 16 17 I kind of figured where this was going nice guy and I said, you know, you pay me a lot of money. So why don't we do this? Why don't you just take a few swings and let's see, because here's the thing. I know you're really intelligent and all these things probably do need to be addressed. But if we can find the first main thing, address that, that usually takes care of four or five other things. And that will actually make the time you spend with me a lot less. And here's the other thing. It will actually probably make the number of lessons you need shrink, which means you'll spend less money. Oh, he loved that. (laughs) And sure enough, he had really three things. And what is everybody after really? Contact and distance. Yeah. Now at 89, not much I can do to help you with distance. So we're going to go back to the basic of contact. So no, yeah, it's, it's it's a never ending journey, but people don't really realize that the golf swing simplified doesn't really have a lot of things that go wrong. We may think we have 50 different things and then we start to work on 50 different things when you just really need to be able to strike the ball properly. Right. I mean, the ball only cares about what the club face is doing at impact, right? So there you go. So that's, that's what I've learned over the years, you know, rather than thinking about where where are my hands in, in these different, you know, positions and whatnot, like, 
Uh, I feel like I remember my golf coach in high school trying to explain who was not a professional at all. He was just a teacher that says, Hey, I know something about golf. I'll teach. I'll coach. Right. So, and he's, he's telling us stuff that he, he saw on, on, uh, on the golf channel. So it wasn't like, <laughs> like it was uh, always great advice, but anyways, um, I didn't really, okay. So you no, know, what I really need to do is figure out where, where is my face when I'm coming in contact, uh, with, with the ball oh, impact. Right? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad said, you know, the golf swing happens too fast from the backswing down to impact, uh, for you to try to fix all these things. And, you know, I used to say a little thing a long time ago. I said, you know, from for a recreational golfer, it might take you, let's say, 1.8 seconds to hit a golf ball that stays on the face of your club, one fiftieth of the blink of the human eye. And you have to actually have 3,000 neurons firing in the human brain for you to repeat that for a total of approximately 60 to 90 seconds of four and a half rounds of golf. And... That four and a half hours, the four minus the 90 seconds, you now spend thinking about all those negative things. But it's such a small, finite moment in time that you actually have to produce a repetitive motion. We also know through all the gear studies and all the different things that have been done, you don't swing the same way each time. You're not a robot. You're not Iron Baron. So it's about, again, comes back to that whole thing. Why am I not making proper contact? Let's fix the main things, get the ball going where we want to go. And now we can move on to, you know, different things. You know, people want to have a certain looking swing. Well, if I give you a jump test, for example, maybe you will do a jump test that shows me you're going to have, you know, no disrespect to the person, but more of an LPGA long fluid swing. Whereas somebody like me, who's been built with so much power, I do a jump test. I'm going to be looking at building somebody's program with me with more torque. So it's, it's different for everybody, but for both types of swings, we like to see the benchmark positions, all that good stuff, P1 to P8. But at the same time, rubber meets the road, hitting that golf ball. All right. So with that, let's, let's go into what are some of the things that you see that maybe most uh, juniors kind of tend to, to miss and with, with regards to whether it's their, their physical training or maybe lack of physical training. I don't know, maybe that's an option. Um, yeah. Or with their, with their practice. Mm. I think most of the coaches that I know, and I, you know, we collaborate in a sense, uh, they're very good. And just like I've built out a team, most of them also have a team. So the fitness element, I think most people realize if you're going to play this game long-term and compete at a high level, the physical element is very important. Most of them have somebody who's with a mental component. Uh, so we actually have a hypnotist as well uh, that can help with that. Uh, so however you approach the different aspects, I think once you get in competitive golf, 14, 15, you have a team of three or four or five. So I think generally speaking, the coaching way that we do things now with all the science behind it, I think is really, really good. I think, however, there's one skill set that I see some coaches dealing with heavily, which I really applaud. It's about scoring. A lot of people think, okay, let's hit the ball as far as we know. We know Bryson DeChambeau and I like what Como has done. I'm not knocking that in any way, shape or form. Their advantages, the closer you are to the green, the, the, the lower you're going to score. We know all of that stuff. But when everybody was, for example, chasing Tiger, 
Tiger's iron work from 120 yards in, nine feet close to the pin, the record he has also, there's just no denying that it's about scoring. Golf course doesn't care how far you hit it. There's no video on your scorecard showing, man, your swing is so, <clears throat> sorry, technically correct. So the scoring aspect and scoring for me is not just a skill set, physically being able to do things with a golf club, because you can show someone how to change your setup to make proper contact out of trouble situations. It's a mental thing. And that's why we spend so much time with our competitors dealing with the mental aspect of it. Part of the mental aspect when I get a new junior and he says, I want to compete. I go, okay, why? Well, and they'll give you a bunch of reasons, which are all basically coming from dad or mom or stuff they saw on the golf channel or what their friends said. No, why do you want to play this game and why do you want to compete? If you don't have your why, listen, everybody has the same skill set when you get to a certain level. I remember, for example, when back in my last thing was squash. And back when I was competing, my coach said to me when I got to a certain level, just about to go international level, he said, listen, France, everybody can do what you can do. And I go, no, they can't. Have you seen what I can do? I was like, oh, says France, every one of these guys can do what you can do. You need to have a differentiator. Now, the differentiator for me was I want to win. He goes, everybody wants to win. That's not a why. So, well, I'm driven for success. Because I was scrambling back then to come with it. He's my coach. I'm like, what does he want to hear? Right? So I said, yeah, but no, I'm different. No, you need to have a why of why you're going to be putting yourself. Because back then, I, was, I decided I was going to be fitter than everybody else. I was going to run you into the ground. Yeah. And I didn't care if you were a young squash player coming up that had fitness out there. You know what? I was going to run you into the ground. So I went on a program for almost two years. I was training 21 days on, two days off, three and a half hours of court work daily. Every other day I had an hour and a half of off-court work additional, which was weights and cycling. I would go on a squash court. My coach, he was a phenom back in the day, and he would run me into the ground. I'd come off the court, go throw up, and go back for the next two hours. So I, that was my differentiator because I realized that everybody at this level could produce the shots I could. Similarly, in junior golf, everybody thinks if they have all the skill set, they can score. Now you've got to develop the mental aspect of it. I, I did a post, I think it was today, your emotions, the direction of your emotions determines the direction of your progress. So similarly, there's a whole mental aspect on, of scoring that is learned by being on the golf course, not being on a range, working on your swing. It's tied into their why, because ultimately you play golf alone. So when you're out there, you know, proverbially throwing up like I was, there's got to be something that makes you stay in that rain, stay in that cold weather, stay out there. It cannot just be, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a million dollars if I get it to the PGA Tour. So I think when I talk, speak to a lot of these juniors, they have the general why that everybody going into, you know, D1 college golf should have. But the things that will drive them to be exceptional, I try to get them to examine that. Because if you, find, if, if, if you can pinpoint or help find that psychological fingerprint of that person knowing this is why, I think it's really hard for you to stop that kind of person succeeding. So I think I like to see more of that the self-exploration, 
determining the why. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, because if you if you know your why and you can be reminded of of the reasons what why you're doing something, you know, you can get through the hardest hardest thing. Yeah. You know, you sit there and you go, okay, why why am I putting myself through um, you know, this workout or why am I why am I you know, if, if it, even if it's work related, a job related, you know, you go and you got the bosses hounding you on a project or something like that. It's like, okay, why do you put yourself through that? Well, because they pay you and it provides for your family. Like, well, what? there's got to be a reason for it. Uh, you're not just going to go do that because you enjoy that. Cause most people don't enjoy throwing up on the, after a workout or, or getting <laughs> hounded on by, by, by a coach or a boss or whatever it may be. So there's going to, there's got to be reasons. And, and that's what allows you to get through uh, those difficult times. Cause there's going to be difficult times. It's easy yeah. on the golf course when you're playing really well, you know, yeah. you're happy. You're like, Oh yeah, this is great. You know, oh my shot, boom, up three feet close to the pin. All right, here we go. Tap that in. There we go. Keep going. And you're just happy. Right. And it's good. Um, and, and that's easy. But then, then you have those days where and you can watch it on TV. You see, you know, you said to go, how, how is it that we can have a player that plays lights out one weekend and then the next weekend you're like, where'd they go? They just disappeared. Yep. Right. And, and so, it's not always going to be there and uh, you got to get through that, those tough, tough times. So absolutely. So I like that a lot. So with, with that tough times, winter, it's a tough time for most people, especially up in your part of the, of the woods where you don't really get to go out and play very often. Um, at least here in Virginia, we, we have, we have technically year round golf, but it does get cold enough to where there are days you don't want to go out and play. Um, but anyways, so what, during the winter months, what, what do you recommend uh, for, for people to kind of blend that technical work with, you know, you're talking about a lot of like the physical work and, and the psychological stuff uh, that your, your son was kind of going through. So where, where do you find this blend or this match, for, particularly during the winter where, you know, we might be, be able to hit as many balls as, as we might during the summer? Yeah, you're right. Uh, when I first came here, my, my dad was laughing at me. Um, because we live on a golf course in Florida. So apart from maybe now, January, February, it's year round golf, just like with you. So, you know, I said, well, you know what? It's a good thing. Because if you look at a lot of the competitors or people who play a lot of golf, the swing starts to break down. So they start to get sloppy, just trying to make sure that they can move the ball, you know, down the range. And, you know, we always say golf is a game of inches, feet and yards. And if you can, if you know your distance that day, and you know the, the shot shape you're playing that day, no matter how sloppy the swing looks, you can still, you know, manage your way around the golf course. But that's not optimal because that, again, is going to lead to injury because your body's doing stuff it's not supposed to be doing. And compensations are being made. And we know, you know, that, you know, the body wants to move through, uh, wants to be mobile, but it has to be stable through mobility for it to prevent injury. So it's a good thing is the way I've mentally conditioned myself that it's minus 15 degrees out there. It's a good thing because, Hey, my students get to work on the technical stuff. So again, we have our basic phase three phases in our competitive programs that we know at this time, this is, these are things we're working on. We tailor make, we we tailor it to that individual uh, that we're working with. So for example, I don't do strength and conditioning anymore. Phase one for me, the strength part, I am not trying to leg press several hundred pounds. Let's just put it that way. That has no benefit to me. I'm getting up there in age, so to speak. So I need to be maintaining my speed as much as possible. 
So it's going to be varying, but the technical side of things also is really, really important for the student to understand why we're making changes. I generally don't change anything unless it's going to improve contact and prevent injury. So we've had so many students over the years that will come with their idea of what a swing should look like. And then I say, well, your shoulder retraction doesn't even allow you to be able to do that in your backswing. So I cannot do that for you. And if I put you from uh, being steep the way your compensation has developed to shallow, you're probably going to injure yourself and you're going to be coming across the ball. You're going to be slicing the ball. I showed them the numbers. So it's, it's the, 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 the blueprint, overall blueprint for everybody is going to differ. But we do get that time. Now, we also have a lot of students that will travel to different countries and play some winter golf. Simulators are catching on here. Uh, so we have some really high-tech simulators that people do get to play. I run a winter league at one of my partner's uh, facilities. So there is stuff that you can get out there. And you can go into a facility and see the ball fly 120 yards, for example. I think also living in a winter country, more and more of my students are getting their own things, getting their own stuff. So hitting nets, the putting mats, all that stuff. The first COVID uh, lockdown we had back in March, a lot of people made the investment developing their own simulators. So we do have opportunities, but, you know, it's not the same as playing golf, grass interacts with a golf ball differently. So then we start training for specific yardages. You know your benchmarks. You know, for example, for a student, uh, that the putter goes inside the right toe is going to release four feet. And then now you're working on that. Or you know that a 60-degree wedge, left arm parallel, three-quarter swing speed is going to produce for you an 85-yard shot. So you can use a lot of technology now with the facilities we have to get really, really good at dialing distances. And that's what you need to control, especially in a short game area. So it's not as bad as people think. We, and you know what? There are a couple of golf courses um, that will actually open. There's one that was about to open uh, with winter golf, with temporary greens. And you would be surprised in minus five degree weather where gloves do not go down below 10, in my opinion, but in minus five C, they're going to go play. And it's not golf, in my opinion, when they're still on the ground, but they're having fun. And I think you've probably realized from my posts and how I teach, you got to be having fun. It is a game and it's supposed to be fun. And it can't just be fun when you're doing well, because there will be a lot of times when you're not doing well. Yeah. Um, I've played in uh, snow before in Indiana because <laughs> I grew up in Indiana and golf season okay. starts in in. Uh, late March, early April, and well, we still have snow up till Easter, at least on, on occasion, wow. where I grew up. And so we were on the course mid early April, and we're playing a tournament. And I look up, and I go, "Oh, snowing!" <laughs> like, you hit a shot fat, and your hands just feel like they shattered. So it's it's not fun. I'll I'll agree with you on that one. Um, but hey, uh, you know, I agree with you that the the fun is is the the biggest part. Most of us, you know, only 1% of people of golfers probably make money off of playing golf. So it's a small, small portion. The rest of us is just for fun. So learn to have fun. And if that's fun for somebody, then that's good for them. Go for it. <laughs> awesome. So I've got a few wrap up questions that I ask everybody and when, towards the end of the podcast, 
first one, what's your favorite golf memory? I actually don't have a favorite golf memory because I've had a lot of great golf memories. I've had great golf memories with my, my dad, coach grandpa. I've had a lot with my son. Uh, I've had a lot with so much with students over the years. I've been able to play on some really, really, really good courses. I love courses that have water. So for me, I will put it this way. My thing about golf is being on a golf course early in the morning. I like to be first tee, off the first tee, little dew on the ground. I like to see the ball fly. And it puts me in touch with nature and my God. And I am at peace. So anytime I get to play golf and I'm on a golf course, if there's any negative stuff, yeah, you, you meet you know, the not so seasoned golfer who is quite the, you know what, and he's doing strange things. I leave. I professional. I get to play golf uh, pretty much whenever I want. The facilities I teach at allow me a lot of perks. So I'm not going to spend six and a half hours playing a round of golf behind a foursome. That's really slow. Um, but I just love being out there. So I have so many memories that I can draw on. I'm very specific. I step up to a shot and my son is there. And I, and I say, before I hit the shot, I say, fourth hole, Markham Green, five years ago. I'm going to hold this out. And sure enough, I do it again. And he's like, what? I said, I was in exactly the same position five years ago. The pin was exactly the same place. <coughs> Sorry. It was exactly the same time of year. And you just know, so I've had so many of those moments and I'll pull memories from 10 years ago when I played a shot. So I'm just so in love with being out there that I can't really say I have one favorite memory. All right. What's your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? For my personal game? Oh, yeah. Well, that's easy. You will always find me between lessons and I always get to the lesson T wherever I'm teaching ahead of time. You'll always find me with a wedge in my hand. You'll always find me in a short game practice area. And you will never find me with more than one golf ball. I play one golf ball. I don't play three because on a golf course, we do not get to do two do-overs. And I will find the worst lies, this, the, the downhill lies, the side hill lies. I'll find the lies up against a fence, uh, you know, the lip under the lip of a sand bunker and I'll spend, and my son hates, I said, Darren, I'd spend hours doing this. Say, yeah, dad, I've, I've heard you say that before. I said, really? <laughs> but that's me. So I spend, this is where I, you know, I make a lot of my money, so to speak, is, is a short game area. And I spend a lot of time. So when a student looks at me and goes, wow, coach, that's an awesome shot. I said, well, thank you. It's not about me. Let me show you how I did that. Now, they may not get it on the first attempt, but they get it eventually. But I say, well, these are the reasons why it works. And yes, I've spent a lot of time looking at the great uh, putting gurus, so to speak. I hate that word, but for want of a better word, they, uh, they, the short game, the chipping, the, the pitching experts. But physically being out there doing it, the feel of that golf club resting in where it should in my finger in my finger pads, that's, that's what I'm always working on. 
Because guess what? You will have days where you're going to put the ball all over the golf course. I don't care who you are. So take your favorite club, seven iron for me, just put the ball down the fairway, get on in regulation and make that putt and keep doing that until you get back into the game. But usually what brings me back into my game is going to be that short game, the, 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 the wedge game. So that's where I spend most of my time developing my game. And that's how I get to score sometimes some good scores. What's the takeaway you want everybody to get from today's conversation? Ah, uh, for juniors, you got to have fun. <laughs> I think we talked about it already. Uh, I'm seeing too many people competing. And we also have people, students who are in their 30s who compete. Uh, it's the same for all of them. I said, you got to have fun. Oh, but I'm trying to win. Yes, you are. But here's how it works from a physiological point of view. If you're not having fun, your body gets tense, which means the fluidity of motion you're trying to achieve will not happen, which also means your brain uh, starts to move into a different direction. Different chemicals start to be recycled. I give them the whole, if they're the type of student that needs it, the whole science behind it. Or sometimes I seem to say, well, when you're having fun, don't you play better? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, there are reasons behind it, which you're not that type of person. You're not declarative. You don't need to know how. You just need to be able to. Uh, But I find too many people lose sight of the fact this is a game. Have some fun. Uh, If you're coaching, (coughs) sorry, if you're coaching a junior, you have to be able to, how do I put it? You have to be able to step back. If you're the parent of that junior, you want your child to probably, you know, accomplish all the things you did if you were a high-level athlete uh, the way I was blessed to be. If you are not, you're just a dad who just, oh, like I feel every shot my son hits on a golf course. I don't like to watch him, but up to now, he hasn't said to me, don't come to my tournaments. He seems at this time, Man Cup seems to like uh, dad being there. So I'm there. I would, there will come a point in time when I don't need to be there. The moment he says that, I'm gone. Because four and a half hours, I can probably do something with as well. But I enjoy watching the students and I enjoy watching him. He's my son. And there's a portrait to how he plays golf. And it's what I like to see. So, but all afterwards, because we have that thing where we share the bond for food, even if he has had a good round, the debrief has to be for a specific period of time. And then we got to get back to fun because the moment that competitor, junior, adult, don't care who it is, says we're not having fun, they're not really going to be around much longer unless they can work through that. So again, we also thankfully have a lot of older students that come to us and listen, they're never going to shoot you know, below par. Some of them may never shoot under 100. But the one thing I do take a lot of satisfaction from is they're having fun and they bring their friends for lessons and their friends are looking forward to having fun. I'm like, I'm not going to make it fun for you. This is hard work. And then off off we go. Right. But it, it, it has to be, I think, for all of us to remember, you will not die if you have a bad round. You won't. I, I mean, if lightning strikes you, then yes, that's different. So why are you out there you know, gnashing your teeth, weeping, wailing. I mean, if you, you ask any professional coach, they say when you say to an athlete, when they come off the golf course, 
most of them, he said, hey, tell me, about, tell me about your round. And they start telling you all the negative stuff. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Did nothing go right? Oh, yeah, well, I had some good. Well, why don't we program you that way <laughs> instead? So I like, I like that aspect. You will win. You will train. You will compete. You will do well. You will fall down. You will get back up again. You will move on to the next event, tournament, or otherwise. If we can make in between it, the glue holding it all together, that there are pockets of memories of fun, I believe, and this is just from my personal experience uh, going through all the stuff I went through as an athlete, you'll be there for a good long, long time. So I'd like to see that. All right, friends. Thank you so much for uh, coming on today. And before we wrap up, please let us know how can everybody keep in touch with you and see, learn more from, from what you're doing with uh, what you do. Well, thank you. Uh, golfandperformance.com. And if you go on there, when it, the screen pops up, you subscribe. We send a newsletter out uh, once or twice a month. Uh, there's blogs on there. There's a recommended reading list on there. Uh, last year, one of my daughters said, you got to have more of an Instagram presence. So we've moved a couple of things this last month, um, the at-home series and the Ask Coach Friends onto Instagram. So we do a lot of tips. Uh, golf is a game of levels. So whatever level you're at, you're going to find something in what we produce that's going to be able to help you. Uh, we've got the online lessons, the virtual stuff we've been doing for years, uh, using different apps and Skype and all that good stuff. So just go to golfandperformance.com. The website, in my opinion, by Claire was done really well. So there's a lot of ways to access us, yeah. get information. We'll have that in, in the, the show notes down below. That is it for this episode of Golf Under Par Podcast. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, friends. And thank you all for listening. Remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.